give you all just a quick update on the Salem church plant since you all sent me out. And woohoo, we are very grateful you've done that. Things are going well in, in Salem, Mass, and our church, King of Peace, sends you its greetings. Um, Enza couldn't be here today. She's been at a birth since Friday night and just had the baby at about an hour ago. She didn't. Well, the lady did. So, um, so that's why she's not here, but she sends her greetings as well to all of you. Um, last April, we made some uh, goals as to where we wanted to be as a church plant, and by God's grace, we've met a lot of those. Um, we've had some new families join us, and that's exciting. We're getting a, a footprint in the city. We're starting to have visitors on a regular basis, and that's all really exciting, and uh, God has been very good to us. We also got funded through Trinity Fellowship Churches this year, um, starting in January for a one-year period, and then a, a lesser portion for the, for the year following that. So that is really a blessing to us as well. That kind of really allows us to say, yeah, we're going we're gonna to be here for a while. Um, the other thing I think, uh, I, and I, you could be praying for us with this, we really want to reach the lost in the city. And we are, I, I believe, very evangelistic. We do a lot of work to get ourselves into the city. Uh, and to meet people and have those discussions and build relationships, but it is slow going. So some of the goals that I had set out in April, you know, to just say, wow, I'd really like to see, you know, eight to ten new believers or, or folks that have no background in Jesus Christ, you know, starting to come to the church. That hasn't happened. That's okay. God's at work, and it's his timing and uh, how he's going to do things. But we've got three different couples that we're meeting with on a, on a pretty regular basis now. They come to our house for dinner. They're going to a, different things that we have, different Christian families. Think of like, uh, if you've ever heard of Matthew parties, uh, it's where you, know, you get you and a couple of other Christian couples together, and you just start inviting your friends over, right? And then they get to know those people, and it's like, oh, I like these people, and I like these people. And then you go, hey, we all get together on Sunday nights to go to church, or we all get together at a Bible study. Would you like to come to that? And it's not so awkward for them because they've been hanging out with these people now for, you know, three or four months, maybe, maybe longer. So that's kind of where we're at with things. Um, and we've got probably three other couples that are in different stages of, of getting to know people in the church and build relationships there. Um, so we're excited to what we think God will be doing with that as well. So please be praying for us um, that, you know, God would just draw the lost. Uh, that he would build those relationships and that he would give them that same life-saving gospel message that he gave us faith to believe, that he would give it to them as well. That's our real heart and our real desire, to see that the God, to transform the hearts and minds of people in the city of Salem and really in the surrounding area. So thank you for that. God can do the impossible. And so instead of the intro I had previously, that's my intro. God can do the impossible, and we need to trust that God can do that um, and that he's at work to do those things. Our passage today is from Luke 1, 26 to 38, and that kind of has some similarities uh, to, to, our, to what I've just been telling you about Salem. It's the story of God sending his messenger to tell a young woman that he's about to do the impossible in her life and prove that nothing is impossible for him. 
Luke 1, 26 through 38, is also the story of a young woman's faith. Faith in God, the God of impossible promises. Faith that God would do all that he said he would do, that he was capable of doing all that he said he would do. So let's look at Luke 1, 26 through 38 together. It reads, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth is in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. From this passage, I hope to make three points to you today about how we see Mary interact with the message that was brought to her by the angel Gabriel that I hope will instruct us and encourage us as we deal with difficult things, with the seemingly impossible that God puts before us, that God asks us to join him in as he builds his church and makes his name great in the world. First, I want to show you that when God reveals his will Uh, to Mary through the angel that Mary is afraid, but she's not disbelieving. Secondly, I want to encourage you that it's okay to ask God faith-filled questions. Because Mary is rational about her circumstance, but remains faith-filled. Finally, I want to challenge you to both faith and action to be like Mary who committed herself to what she was believing in. Now, if you'll give me a moment, 
I want to pray. I want to ask God to um, use this message today in any way he would choose. I pray that I want to pray that he's going to open our eyes and ears to hear everything that he has for us. So let me pray. Father, thank you, Lord God, for your goodness to us. Thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, that you gave us the gift of salvation through your son, Jesus. Lord, thank you for the word that you gave us from Luke today. Lord, I ask and I pray, Lord, that you would use this word and the message you've given me for a king of grace. Lord, I pray that you would change lives today, Lord, that you would meet people right where they are, the different things that they're facing, Lord, that you would be, that you would be the one who speaks into that through your word, that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see, that we would understand and perceive, Lord, and that we would be affected, not just in the moments that we hear this word, but Lord, during the coming week and in the following weeks, Lord, that you would be bringing something to birth in our spirit and in our hearts. Lord, so I humbly submit this message to you. Do whatever you would with it, Lord, for your glory and for the furtherance of your church, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we begin the passage today, uh, in verses 26 and 27, uh, Luke gives us initially really just a setting for what's going on here. It opens up in the region called Galilee in northern Israel, west of the Sea of Galilee, west of the River Jordan, is where this is taking place, in a town called Nazareth. And archaeologists who have done some research in that area suggest it was probably a town of about 500 people, not particularly a wealthy town, uh, relatively small and off the beaten path, but it was also just a few miles off of a major thoroughfare, the major trading routes that went through um, from, all the way from Egypt all the way up into Syria. As Luke sets up this, uh, the story, he introduces Mary, a teenager of about probably 14 to 16 years of age. He immediately tells us that Mary is a virgin and that Mary is betrothed to a man named Joseph. Now, betrothal is not something we really have today. It's a, like a courtship period, but more. It lasted about a year long. Vows were exchanged at the beginning of the betrothal process uh, that set the couple apart in really a covenantal relationship. But since they were not married, the woman still lived with her parents, and the man lived either by himself or with, with his parents um, as well. So there was no sort of uh, sexual relationship that was going on like would be in a, a married couple. Yet the vows were strong enough in that sort of relationship, and culturally it would have been understood that if you broke up a betrothal, you actually had to, to, you had to give a, a right of divorce to the woman. So it was, a, it was a strong, binding relationship that was there. So Mary is betrothed to a man who really his age is not identified. Um, 
He's likely to be several years older than Mary, at least. His name is Joseph, and he's from the lineage of the house of David. That's important uh, in our overall story, because out of the line of David or the prophesied Messiah is coming. Um, those prophets that spoke about it, especially uh, Isaiah, said that one day this someone was going to come and he was going to sit on the throne of David and it would be an eternal throne. Hence, coming out of Joseph's house, the line of Joseph, the house of David, this makes the story, it immediately gives it possibility. Who is this person that... Uh, that Mary is betrothed to, and what's going to happen in the story for us. So with that groundwork laid, Luke then introduces his next character, a messenger from the Lord. He's an angel. His name is Gabriel. He's appeared earlier, actually, in the chapter, so we're picking up the chapter, verse 26. Well, the previous passage right before that, Gabriel appears there as well. He appears to a man named Zechariah, who is a priest serving in the temple in Jerusalem. He's married to a woman named Elizabeth, who was barren. But now, according to the previous passage, she's going to conceive. She's a woman in her old age, well beyond childbearing years. And now the angel Gabriel comes to Zechariah and tells her, your wife Elizabeth is going to conceive. Their son would be a, a man named John the Baptist. That same angel is the one who's now coming to Mary and saying, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Now I want to stop here just a second because how we understand that particular part of the passage makes a lot of difference as to how we understand the figure and person of Mary. The angel says um, Mary is favored, or one having been favored. But that word favored could easily be translated as graced, one who has been graced. The word favor will show up again in verse 30. When Gabriel says, you have found favor with God. Now, as before, you could translate that um, as you have found grace with God. So here's my point. God is the one extending grace or favor to Mary. Mary has not done anything to deserve that grace or favor. Nowhere does Luke or any other gospel tell us that Mary was found righteous before God prior to this encounter. Therefore, Luke is saying that God, in his mercy, has chosen to extend grace, chosen to extend his favor, because he is God. He is sovereign, and he extends mercy and compassion to whomever he will. So let me take a short step 
out of our story for a second to say that every one of you here who is a believer in Jesus Christ could have an angel come to you today and say the same thing. Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Each one of us is here today because we are a favored one of God. God has extended his grace to you and to me. God, who is merciful and compassion to those who have done nothing to deserve it. He extended his mercy and his grace, God's grace, by which you have been saved. Some of us here today have not placed our faith in Jesus Christ. And maybe you feel like that you need to get yourself cleaned up. Maybe you feel like you need to, to clear up the balance here because you've done a lot of bad things, so you need to now to do a lot of good things and stack those up before you come over and talk to God, before you feel like you can ask Jesus to be your Savior. Well, I want you to know that's not how this works. God extends favor and grace to those who do not deserve it. I'm here because God called me in my rebellion and my sin and extended favor and grace when all I did was hate him. That's the reality of our lives. That's where we are, and that's God extending favor and grace. So when we think of Mary, God extended favor to her. God said to her, you are favored. I'm extending grace. And so the angel says, Mary, that you are the favored one of God. Okay, let's step back into the story. Sorry. Angels often seem to have an effect on people. I mean, if you read through scripture, rarely does an angel show up and people are like, oh, look, it's an angel. I mean, that isn't seemingly how they, how they interact with angels. Often it's a, a response of, all. For instance, you went through Revelation recently. John falls down actually to worship the angel. The angel's like, whoa, whoa, dude, get back up, back up. God, not me. That's who deserves your worship. Angels seem to have that effect. Sometimes it's a response of fear. Earlier in Luke 1, Zechariah comes across this. He's in the temple. He's doing, he's burning incense at the altar, and suddenly there's someone in there they shouldn't be, and his response to this angel is fear. Zechariah in verse 12 says, Zechariah was troubled when he saw the angel. Fear fell upon him. And fear seems to be a common response. And although we don't get Mary's view of what happened in this, in our passage today, it does appear that she went, that when she experienced the angel, she must have been pretty frightened by what was going on because the angel Gabriel, having proclaimed God's favor to her, now tells her, do not be afraid, Mary. And then reinforces it again with the fact that you have found favor with God. 
And church, there's a really important lesson for us in that little statement there. Do not be afraid. You have found favor with God. To those whom God has extended his mercy and grace, to those whom God has extended his favor and his love, to those who walk in his favor, you don't need to be afraid. You don't need to live in fear. Yes, we should have a reverent awe for God, but no longer do we live under the fear of eternal judgment. No longer do we live under the fear of death. We don't need to be afraid. Like Mary, through no action of your own, God chose you. He called you his own. He extended mercy and grace to you and covered you with his favor for his glory. If we know that, we walk in God's favor. If we know that, then we can be assured that when God calls us to do difficult things, we can trust him. Knowing that we have God's favor should cause us to replace fear with faith. Knowing that I have God's favor allows me to build faith. And that faith pushes back the fear. Believer, you are favored of God. Do not be afraid. When God speaks to you, when he calls you to do the seemingly impossible, when the path he lays before you is so hard and so difficult that even the thought of it terrifies you, then remember the words of Gabriel to Mary. Do not be afraid, for you have found favor with God. God calls you his beloved. You have found favor with God. Do not be afraid. It is Mary's awareness that she is in God's favor, which casts aside fear, and now allows her to hear the angel's message without fear and with hope and with faith. And as we'll see in the next point, that faith doesn't mean that she completely tosses out reason, that, it, that it's not like she completely gets rid of, of rationality. Mary asks very rational questions, but remains faith-filled, as we see in this next point. Now that the angel has assured Mary there's no need to fear and that she's been granted favor by God. He proceeds with his message that he's been sent to deliver. And this message is nothing short of earth shattering. It will literally turn the world upside down. 
It'll turn all of our worlds upside down, to be honest. The angel says in verse 31, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. I honestly cannot imagine the thoughts that might have been going through Mary's head as she's trying to process through what this angel has just said to her. I will have a son. I will call his name Jesus. But, but hold on, isn't that Joseph's responsibility to name my son? Our son? What, what does he mean that he will be son of the most high God? That's blasphemy. What does he mean that, he, that, that God will give to him the throne of David? My betrothed is, is a craftsman, not, not a king. Hold on. I'm going to conceive? How can that be? I, I, I haven't even been with Joseph or any man. For all the things that are presented, that her son would be the son of the Most High God, and an eternal king on the throne of David, David's throne, that it would be given to him by God, these things, these things, she seems to accept. There's no question that follows those things. She may not have understood what the angel, how that was going to occur, but she said, yeah, okay, you're the angel of the Lord. I got it. God's going to do these things. But, but I have this question. It's very practical for me. Um, I'm a virgin. How am I going to conceive? And this question I don't believe is asked in disbelief, but as a practical, rational question that very personally concern, concerned a teenage girl. And so Mary voices this very practical, very rational, very personal question to the angel. How can this be since I'm a virgin? I love this question. It's a fantastic question. I love that Luke includes it in his gospel. Thank you, Luke. I love it because it shows me that, yes, I can, in faith, ask questions of God. That's important. I don't believe that God asks us to throw out reason and rationality from our lives. God cares about the practical things in our lives. And often we assume that when someone asks us questions about some amazing thing that we tell them, that they don't believe it. And, and that's understandable. But there is also the type of question that says, I hear it, but I don't understand it. 
I hear about string theory, and, and okay, I don't understand a thing you just said. When I ran Alpha here in the past, I cannot tell you how many times I was encouraged, I would encourage people to ask questions, and how encouraged I was when somebody would finally ask questions. And then how often, when I did, how stunned they were that instead of them getting hit over the hand with a ruler like that had been their past experience when they asked questions, that I was like, that's a fantastic question. Let's explore that. That isn't how people have experienced their faith in the past. That, oh, I can in faith ask you a question about this thing that I don't understand and you're not mad at me in fact you're happy I asked the question well if I can feel that way I'm pretty positive God can too in fact I'm beyond positive I know that God can hear our questions and not get angry at us he's very sure about himself and his word and who he is so we can come to God in faith, like Mary did, and ask God questions. He created us. He knows us, and he knows we're limited creatures. He knows that we're finite. Our minds, whether we like it or not, are finite. There are things we will never understand. There are things that are difficult for us to grasp, and when God puts them before us, especially those really hard, impossible things that we can't wrap our heads around, we need to be able to go to God in faith. You're God. You said this would be. I don't understand and I can't see it. Can you, how is that going to happen? Now, when I buy something off of Amazon, they send me all these emails, a constant stream of emails that tell me where the package is, and so I really don't have to have a lot of questions. But I remember times before Amazon and before emails. I used to be, when I was in the Army, for instance, um, I was a commander, and, and I was, you know, I had to sometimes be resupp our unit would have to be resupplied with ammunition and with food and with water and fuel. And so you get on the radio. Okay, there's a plan. It's been given to me. I know what should be out there. I know when it should be happening, but it's coming up to that time, and nobody said a word, and I haven't seen the stuff. So get on the radio. Get on the radio, and hey, when... When is this resupply coming? And I would then end that part of the conversation, that transmission, with over. What over meant was that when I said the word over, it meant I was done speaking and I was waiting for them to respond. Now, sometimes I got a response, and that was helpful. A response that was like, oh, yeah, it's good. We're, we're meeting here at this time. Got it. Other times... I would make that same request, I'd say over, and what I got back was, wait out. Out, at the end of the transmission, meant they're done. Conversation is complete. There is nothing further to be said at this time. Sometimes I got, wait out. That was the answer to my question. And now all I could do is wait. That question didn't come originally out of me not trusting them. I know they're going to do it. I just don't know the when and the where of it. 
sometimes the response was, wait out. I knew they were still going to do it. I trusted that they were going to deliver those supplies. But I now still didn't have a whole lot more information. I think that's helpful for us to understand that we can ask questions in faith. And sometimes we're going to get an answer, and it's going to make it real clear, and we know what to do, and sometimes we're going to get the weight out from God. Mary's question is similar. She's not asking out of disbelief or without faith that the angel Gabriel, the things that he said, would not come to pass. She believes they'll come to pass, but it was the practical question of how and when. In other words, is this a thing that I'm going to experience now, or is this something that's going to happen a while from now after I get married to my my husband or my betrothed, Joseph, when is this thing going to take place? How is this going to take place? Because I'm a virgin. I don't get any sense from that question that she's in disbelief. She's not saying, I don't believe you. It's impossible because I'm a virgin. It's, I do believe you. How is that going to happen? Now, you, be say, you may be saying to yourself, uh, Mike, hold on, how are you getting to that? Well, I'm glad you asked. You see what I did there? Remember, Zechariah, in the previous story, just played out this same sort of experience. An angel showing up to him, your wife Elizabeth's about to conceive. Gabriel's response in verses 18 through 20 is helpful here. He asked this question as well. Let's, let's see what he says. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am old. My wife is advanced in years. Now, if we were to word this uh, more strictly according to the original text, it would be, According to what shall I know this? So in short, what Zechariah is saying, Who Zechariah, who is a priest and is literally in the temple before the altar of incense. I mean, like, you can't get much more in the presence of God. Now you've got an angel standing with you. He's saying, like, my wife, who's beyond childbearing years, is going to conceive. Yeah, right, Gabe. Prove it. That's kind of what he's saying. That's how that verse is sort of set up there. From a human perspective... His human reaction really isn't surprising. Zechariah and his wife are well beyond childbearing years. They've, they've prayed for many years, many years to have a child, and it hasn't happened. So now that they're well beyond childbearing years, this angel comes up and says to him, you're going to have a child? Nah, Gabe, I'm not sure I, I'm in with you here. I'm not sure I believe you. And just in case you're not seeing that, in case, okay, Mike, you're kind of making that up. You're really stretching this. Well, Gabriel understood it to be the same thing because in verse 20 he says, because you did not believe my words. So how are we to understand this? Well, we need to ask. In 
what are those two questions grounded? And what is Zechariah's question grounded? And what is Mary's question grounded? Is it in faith or in disbelief? Because that makes all the difference when we go before God with our questions. The Bible is full of questions. Abraham, in chapter 15, questions God about his heir, but he does so out of faith. Gideon, in Judges 6, questions God about leading an uprising against the Midianites. Job questions God about his suffering. None of these are punished for asking God questions out of faith-filled hearts. Church, God is big enough for our faith-filled questions. Not only is God big enough, but he's loving and merciful enough for all of our faith-filled questions. He speaks into our fear and says, Do not be afraid, O favored one of the Lord. We can ask God questions in a place that is without fear and filled with faith. Because we're his favored ones. Now, God's reply may be, wait out. But he's not angry that we ask the question. Nor is he angry in the response of wait out. He's doing something. It isn't time yet for us to know what that is. Mary gives us an example of how we are to ask in faith. She trusts that the son she will bear will be all that that angel has promised, even if she doesn't understand how. She even trusts that she will conceive. But practically, and I offer to you out of faith, she asks, how can this be? How will this be? I'm a virgin. It's a lesson for us as well. Stand on God's promises. Trust that you are his favored one and that his plans for you are good even if your current circumstance doesn't seem to bear that out. And then, in faith, ask. Following this faith-grounded question, the angel responds to Mary, and then we see in the passage as it closes, Mary's humble, faith-filled commitment to God, to what he's called her to do. So as we look at verses 35 through 38 in our final point, to see that Mary is committed to what she is believing. In this last section, the angel Gabriel who did not give Zechariah the priest an answer to his disbelieving question, does give a response to Mary's faith-grounded question. In verse 35 through 37, the angel tells Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who, has, who was called barren, 
for nothing is impossible with God. Gabriel's response used to leave me saying, what? In one sense, it seems to say almost nothing, really, that addresses Mary's question, how will I conceive I'm a virgin? And yet, on the other hand, it does tell her something, and, and it is even very instructive. First, it tells her that it will not be by Joseph, her betrothed, nor by any man. No man will cause her conception. Instead, it will be an unprecedented act in mankind. The Holy Spirit will come upon her, and the power of the Most High will overshadow her, and she will conceive. Guys, that's the kind of language you would read about maybe in Genesis 1 or Genesis 2. The Spirit of God hovers over the water. God speaks, and things are created. Where God bending over the, the form of Adam that he just made out of clay, and, and bending over him, and breathing life, and spirit, and breath, into his body. This is the story of Mary as well. God's going to do something, and it's going to be something that only God can do, inconceivable by any man, impossible by any man's standards. Yet the angel goes on to say that because the power of the God is the agent of the conception the child Mary bears will be called holy. He'll be set apart. This is why he will be called the Son of God, because it is God, the power of God, that is the agent of her conception. No doubt, this is difficult for Mary to imagine. I can't imagine it, and I'm looking at it back from a historical point. I don't, she can't imagine it. It does seem impossible. So the angel tells her that, hey, your relative, Elizabeth, that is Zechariah's wife, who's been barren, who's well beyond childbearing years, is now six months pregnant. And from this we can gather two things. Mary one, knew who Elizabeth was, she understood that Mary was well past childbearing years. And I think also that she understood that only God could have done that. The clear implication from Gabriel is that Elizabeth's child is also an act of God. And with that, the angel concludes that nothing is impossible for God. Now, I can only imagine that these two statements were very reassuring. If God can do for Elizabeth, if he can do this for Elizabeth, if he can remove her shame from the barrenness that she had had, even as God had done for Rachel and for Sarah before her, then surely God can do the impossible with me as well. If God removed the shame of barrenness from Rachel and Sarah, then he can remove any shame that might be cast upon me for being found pregnant while I'm betrothed. 
Surely God, the God of all creation, who caused these barren women to conceive in their old age can also do the impossible and create within me a child. Certainly, what God begins, he will bring to completion. Making this child the king who will sit on David's throne. And so with this revelation complete, Mary now responds as one, as no one in Scripture before her ever really has. Mary responds not in resignation to some tyrannical sovereign, but in humble submission to the will of her loving sovereign God. She says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. These words don't come ripped from an embittered soul of a woman whose world has just been torn apart. But instead, it is from the faith-filled response to the will of God, a young teenage girl, believing that she has found favor with God, believing that her God is good and merciful and gracious and that his steadfast love endures forever, believing that God is able to do all that he says he is able to. Mary commits herself to God's plan for her life. Faith led Mary to trust God in humble submission. And faith led Mary to commit herself to God's plan for her life. So friends, as I close this message, I realize that there are a number of you you have a lot of really difficult questions. The road before Mary would be incredibly hard. From a human perspective, her reputation was destroyed. A young woman's dreams of marriage, of being married, having that, that beautiful community wep, uh, marriage ceremony, they're gone. Before her, I mean, is she sitting here thinking about what just happened in front of her? Look, you conceive while you're betrothed, and it's not to the guy you're, marri you're about to marry? She could be stoned. At least he'll divorce her. And if she's divorced, what hope does she have except a life of poverty before her? Women that did that, they wound up in, in jobs like prostitution to pay for things because there's nobody that's going to care for her. She's on her own. The shame that she knew would have to be before her. She had to have a lot of questions. There are a lot of reasons for Mary to be afraid right now from a very human perspective. Yet Gabriel spoke into all those questions and fear with words of God's favor to her. 
And I know that some of you have questions that come from a raw and desperate place in your soul. I know you have questions that cause you to struggle with God's goodness. They cause you to struggle with the truth that you are God's favored one, that you are God's beloved. And I know that some of you struggle with questions that have left you resigned and submitted in resignation to God's will rather than in loving submission to God, the God who allows you to suffer. But even as Gabriel spoke to Mary about turning from fear and turning to God to rest in God's favor, to rest in the knowledge that you are his beloved. Even as Gabriel spoke these words to Mary, so Jesus speaks to the fear in your heart, in my heart. It reminds us that he, Jesus, is the ultimate example of God's favor towards us. Today, let me encourage you to faith. God sent his son, Jesus, to leave heaven and to come to earth for you and for me to live a perfect life on our behalf. In humble faith, Jesus lovingly submitted to his heavenly Father's will, taking my sin, taking your sin, onto himself and to the cross. And there he died in loving submission to his Father, who he knew he had his Father's favor. He died on that cross. He died on that cross for you and for me on our behalf. If you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it is because God extended his mercy to you his grace to you through Jesus, and called you his favored one. So remember that and let it build faith in your spirit. You who are the favored one of God. And from a place of faith, ask God your hard questions. Maybe it will be a response of wait out. But you can receive that knowing that God will provide in his perfect time. But then again, it may be that God will answer your faith-filled question. Whatever the answer, like Mary, commit yourself to walking in the will of your heavenly Father. Commit yourself to a merciful, compassionate God of steadfast love, even if you don't understand, trusting that he can do the impossible his favorite ones. Amen?